everybody, and welcome to the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast, episode 311, which will not be a DC Comics podcast necessarily, if you've seen already the title of this episode. It is a hashtag comics great show where I am going to be talking about Sandman volume two, number eight. But before we get into that, let me explain what this whole comics great thing is. This is my attempt to get back to being a fan of comics and being a fan of comics where it doesn't involve being in separate groups that yell and scream at each other because this person follows that person on Twitter or that person uses a pronoun you don't like or that person's hair color or that person did a variant cover. Uh, I'm sick of that nonsense. I really am. And if you're on either side of that group, what I want you to do right now is leave that behind. You know, leave that behind so we can all just kind of be comic fans all together to talk about some pretty great books that some people may end up missing because they're involved in that fight. And that's the sad part of it. When you end up being in that fight, you end up getting so focused on that that I never see anybody arguing about the pacing of a book or maybe the dialogue or maybe the art. It's all about other things. And it almost goes back to the idea of one of the things you learn right off the bat. As they said, don't judge a book by its cover, but yet everybody is. Everybody's judging this person because of this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, let's just get back to the idea that comics are great. That's why we're comic book fans. And you're fighting, but let's get back to the the greatness of this and put all that aside for at least what will be about a half hour. And then you guys can all go and fight on your own time and leave me out of it because I am caught in the middle. I love comics. I end up spending most of my waking hours reading, talking, listening to comics. And with that, I don't want to get involved in this fight either side. And I'm not going to throw shade at either side. Uh, You know, the only thing I'll say, I think it's nonsense. But there you go. But please, just leave it aside just for a little. You can kind of relax. Everybody take a deep breath. Leave that because it does get tiring. I understand. It gets tiring fighting the fight all the time. And so let's just pretend that this is just a little safe haven here. This is your your good place where you can come and listen to me talk about some pretty good comics. And, and this is my opinion of what are great comics. But still, I think that what ends up happening is on our DC and Marvel Comics podcast, we try to be honest. And a lot of times we don't love every book. A lot of times we don't love any of them. And that is another thing that depresses me. I want to remind myself of how great comics are, but I also want to remind some people that, yeah, I do like comics. And, yes, I can be positive and I can enjoy things. So with that, we're going to start and finish with this one comic, Sandman, Volume 2, Number 8. And it is one of those things. If you are not familiar with the Sandman universe, you're right uh, with me. I was not. This was actually the first Sandman issue that I ever read, and I was right on board with it. I understood what was going on, and what's really great about this issue is that it starts off with you know a bunch of pages just written out that give you the background of what Dream, the main character, has been through. Now, with that, it's also what he was going through in the audio drama on Audible that I had ended up talking about a little bit in the past month. But 
it's not only that. It's not only that you have this whole written deal, because I know some people, they don't like to read a lot. This is why we read comics also, right? Because we're lazy. I can't pay attention to a novel. But with that, even in the issue, even if you don't read any of this prose that starts it out, you end up being caught up with what's going on and you'll be right on board. And it's a really great issue. It is the first appearance of death while Neil Gaiman does not announce that the character Death has arrived in the book. You end up gradually figuring this out yourself, which makes it even better. But with that, all you need to know, and I'm going to give you the Jim's notes. It's not the Cliff's notes. It's the Jim's notes. The Jim's notes, all you need to know is Dream has gone through a lot of crap. He, he ended up captured. For a long, long time and had a lot of his tools that he does his jobs with and they were taken away and he spent a lot of time getting those back. And then when he finally did, he ended up being even more powerful. But when the fight was over, when he ended up winning and came back and all, he doesn't know what to do now. It's not even just being bored, but he just doesn't have that drive anymore. He needs pretty much, basically, he needs to get his groove back is what he needs. Luckily for him, Dream, his sister, kind of shows up and ends up, you know, going through a day in the life of death and showing Dream that people have to move on and some people's times are up and some people's times aren't and all this leads to Dream pretty much kind of pulling up the bootstraps and saying, all right, I got to get back in the game. And it, it even is a part where when Dream shows up, pretty much says, you know, stop moping around, you jerk. You know, you think your game is over. Well, have some balls and get in the new game and all that. And I really do like this. It starts off with Dream feeding the pigeons in what appears to be Greenwich Village, New York. And you don't feed the pigeons. What are you doing? They're, they're rats with wings, those things. They're so dirty. I can't stand it. And it was really one of those things when I was a little kid. I watched a lot of Sesame Street. And I'm like, look at Bert. I like Bert and Ernie. I was more of an Ernie guy, which most people were as little kids. But I end up, look at that Bert. He's doing the pigeon. He's liking the pigeon. I like Merton Hanks, too. He did the pigeon. Then I realized these things are dirty. Who wants to do the pigeon? I mean, you, you have Pizza Rat. There's probably 7 million pizza pigeons. I just don't like them. I don't. But you end up where you have, you know, dream feeding the pigeons and they're playing some kids are playing soccer and they end up kicking the ball almost hits dream right in the face he ends up without even looking to the ball puts his hand up and catches it like you know that's some bad butt moves there this kid comes over hey man thanks that was an awesome catch you want to play no just feeding the pigeons he's just going about his way and it, it is the thing where when even death shows up he is moping but it's almost like he's just biding his time. He's not sitting there thinking. You're not getting a lot of thought bubbles at all. And he's not there, okay, what am I going to do next? This is almost like, a, eh, I'm just going to sit here and waste time because, you know, my life's done. And, you know, I, I fought the fight, but it's over. And all this stuff going on. It almost, in my mind, it feels to me like you'd have and a world class athlete who, unfortunately, when you hit, you know, 35, you're done. Now you have the rest of your life to go, but you work so hard to do that. You kind of just like, I don't know what to do now. I'm kind of just going through the motions. And 
you end up having death show up, which if you want to know a visual, I mean, very goth, and most people would know dream and death, very goth. You end up having dream looks like an in-shape Robert Smith from The Cure, which in real life that's never happened. And and then you end up having dream where, you know, Susie and the Banshees kind of, you know, going it. If anything, that is how my wife Tanya looked in high school. She was a goth. And at that point, I don't even know in Quakertown anybody even said like, oh, you're goth. It was just like, oh, look, you like Susie and the Banshees and stuff like that. Well, she ends up coming. Hey, what up? What are you doing? And Dream's like, yeah, I'm feeding the pigeons. She says, oh, you know what you get from feeding the pigeons too much? Uh, what? Fat pigeons. She says, that that's a line from Mary Poppins. She's laughing, and she says, you know, Mary Poppins is awesome. You ever see it? No. Really? I mean, it's great. And she goes through the whole deal. There's a banker. He doesn't have time for his family. Mary Poppins comes down from the clouds. She says, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. He's like, what the heck is that? You know. It's it's like the best word, the most fantabulous word ever. It means wonderful, ginchy, gnarly. And at this point, this is death. You don't know it yet, but the way that Neil Gaiman plays this is you have Dream, who's a sad sack, feeding the rats with wings. And here comes death strutting in, looking all goth and just so happy. I mean, when would you think that death would show up and start saying how much she loves Mary Poppins. And and even with that, even goes even further with, yeah, and then Dick Van Dyke with this really, really bad cockney accent. And she even says, she's like, Oi, it's a jolly holiday with ye Mary Poppins. And she says, oh, it's so cute. Where you hear a lot of people like, that is the worst. I love it. I do love Mary Poppins. So it kind of gave me... You know, a little bit of a chuckle as well just because of that. But with the whole idea of death coming in and just being almost like this injection of life into the book where there's dream, it's really, really cool. It's a really neat way to end up, you know, showing death here. But then she gets to the deal and says, what's the matter? What's up with you? And what do you mean? What do I mean? What's the matter? I know something's wrong. Look at you. You're moping. This isn't like you. This isn't dream. You know, dream doesn't sit and mope and feed the pigeons. Dream gets out there and does things. And he says, eh, I don't know. You know, there might be something wrong. And then he gets fully into it. And this is what I said. It's such a great way of recap because it's not just. Hey, what did you do yesterday? Well, I went down the street and I saw Batman and then brought... No, no, this is a problem for him. And the problem involves the recap of all the issues that led to this. And it's so natural. It's so, and so supernatural, right? You know what I'm saying? And he says, well, I got captured, which she is aware of this as well. She She reveals that. But then there's a twist later about why and what was going on when he was captured, because they ended up the the guys, everybody who captured him and tried to, you know, take him out. They really wanted to get to death. And then you get that kind of deal where he took it for her. He took it for the team, all these things. But he says, you know, they they captured me. They imprisoned me in a box. I just had one thought, revenge. Well, it took so long that the revenge that he wanted from the original captor, he had died. So he had to take it out on his son. And, you know, he did. And he says it felt okay. Um, But 
it didn't feel and and this is actually as you have death like looking at flowers and stuff but it didn't feel as satisfying as he expected and then he says in the interim my dream world had fallen apart i needed my tools long since stolen and scattered one by one i found them and he goes through eventually i found them the pouch was easy uh to regain the helmet i challenged a demon dared the hordes of hell trace down lucifer himself and, and then you know, I only had the ruby left, but that was a little bit harder because a human had it, ended up destroying it. But that actually freed me, made me more powerful. I took the human back to the insane asylum and went on. And this should be, you know, great for me because now I'm back. I mean, I am powerful. I'm ready to go. But the quest was over. Everything that inspired me, everything that I was doing is gone i don't have any drive left i feel drained i feel disappointed i feel let down the whole idea of trying to get back to what he was you know that drove him but now he's just back to what he was and he doesn't know what to do he had a sharp focus of what he was doing but it's gone and says, you know, I'm just struggling now. Uh, you know, I had been sure that as soon as I had everything back, I'd feel good. But inside, I felt worse than when I started. I feel like nothing. There you go. That's what's wrong with me. You asked me. There it is. Well, you have Dream there. And she's standing there. You done? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. And then she says, you could have called me. I, I, I might have been able to help. And that's what he's like. No, no, no. I didn't want you to worry. In the meantime, they were after her as well. But. And she says, no, I don't I don't believe it. I, I think that there's nonsense here. You know what? You are better than this. And right now you are the worst. You're a jerk. You end up, you know, how dare you sit there and mope how around? Dare how dare you? You are an adolescent, pathetic specimen. You're terrible. You're a jerk. I don't feel sorry for you. And you are just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. And this is where she says, Oh, sorry, because the game is over. Well, get some balls and start a new game. Start it up. Find a new one. And while this is going on, it's pretty funny because she's knocking stuff out of his hand. She is just yelling at him. And then the worst, the big insult is, you're as bad as desire right now. And that's some shade in their neck of the woods. Uh, But you end up where the ball gets kicked again, the soccer ball. And this is the weird deal because even at this time, You're not really, if you were reading this in 1989 and, you know, this is the first deal, I still don't think you would know this is death. And Neil Gaiman plays this up so well. Well, the ball gets kicked and she does the move where she doesn't look and catches it and then throws it. And this kid comes over, the same kid to get it. And like, oh, man, you're just as good as your friend at playing ball. That's not my friend. That's my brother. Oh, man. All right. And then she said, and he's an idiot. But then this kid says oh man you know what you know maybe we can go on a date sometime maybe we can hang out have a soda at the malt shop and she's like oh you know what maybe we will but it'll be soon i'll come back and visit you soon and then as she's saying to dream i gotta go do my day job you want to come along with me you want to go the rounds you know you want to see what i'm up to and he's like yeah i guess she's don't don't do me any favors but let's go and as they're leaving that's when this kid is saying, oh, man, you know, we could do stuff. Yeah, I'll see you soon, Franklin. And then he turns and he's like, wait a minute. How would you know my name? Turns around and they're gone. And at this point, again, 
you don't really know what's going on. Poor Franklin is in big trouble. We're going to find out by the end. But the way Neil Gaiman does it as a exclamation point to this whole deal, even you kind of forget about Franklin. You forget that he wanted to date the goth lady because we go off then and you have Dream and his sister, Death, walking through New York City. It seems like they may even go all over the place. But they end up walking around. You have like nobody sees them. They pass through. People think, oh, man, feels like somebody just walked over my grave. All these things. Oh, man, it feels like, you know, a breeze. Gone. So they're going through and they end up at an old Jewish man's apartment who is playing a fiddle. He's playing a violin and he's playing an old song and he's talking to himself about how he ended up, you know, during his time as a violin player fiddler he would pretend he's a gypsy this was part of his routine he'd do all this but in fact he's jewish and he's there and he did it's it's a nice enough deal but what it then reveals is death is death death comes there and says you know who i am and he's like oh no 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 not yet please can i have a moment can i say this prayer that my father told me to say when I was dying, she allows him to do that. And then you see him between dream and death looking at his dead body. And he says, I look so empty. I look so old. Good thing I said my prayer. Uh, my old man told me that if you do that, you go to heaven. Will I be going to heaven? Am I dead? What goes on now? And you end up having dream say or not dream death say, well, Harry, now is when we find out. You know, he wants to know what happens and what goes on. And you end up having Dream left behind as death goes to deliver the body to the sunless lands, the land of the dead. And says, from the darkness, I hear the beating of mighty wings. And as this goes on, this keeps happening when you are going to go through what is almost like the milk route of death here. Now, this is an old man playing in his apartment in New York City. He looks like he had a good enough time in life. He says about how he was a fiddler, all the stuff going on. So you don't necessarily feel bad for this guy. But as you go through this, you're going to start feeling bad. And there's a part where I may get choked up because it is so sad and just such a thing. And if you are a parent, I don't think you could find a more sad, page of a comic than what is in this but before we get to that you go to the next lady esme who is a stand-up comedian and she is at a club it's in the afternoon so she hasn't made it yet she's working on a material she's just getting started even in the whole narration it beats waiting tables so she's trying this out she's telling jokes about batman or robin at one point and she's there but she ends up touching the microphone which is live she also has very sweaty hands, it says. Well, she gets electrocuted because of this live mic. And then all of a sudden, her spirit is next to Dream and Death and says to Death, oh, man, those cheap, you know, those cheap jerks. They didn't end up getting a new mic. They knew it. They left the mic live. I ended up dying. And really, and you start feeling bad, like, I, I could have been great. If I only had a couple more years, I could have been something. I could have been the best comedian in the world. And there's Death who doesn't say yes or no, but kind of even thinks, yeah, you know, but 
everybody has their time, Esme. That's what's going on. And even in death, Esme actually goes, man, you know, there's something that a comedian doesn't want to have happen, dying on stage, but I didn't think it was going to be that way. And, you know, just joking around, but you end up where you have death say, yes, man, everybody has their time. Unfortunately, that's when you have to go. And you end, and I hear the sound of her wings as you have death take Esme away. Well, they're going along, and now we're going to get to the saddest page ever as, you know, they're walking through New York City to get to each place, and they go to an apartment where a mother is putting a baby down in the crib to go make a bottle. Like, itchy-kitchy-goo! Puts the baby down, you see her off making a bottle, and that's where you have death and dreams show up and death goes and picks up the baby and already you're like please no not a baby i mean now you really you know this is death you know the baby's gonna die and has died as she picks the baby up now with that you would normally have the mother come out with the bottle get all upset cry and you'd be like oh my god i feel so bad for the mother the thing that Neil Gaiman does and does so well, and it, he does it too well and gets me so upset is when death picks up the baby, the baby's like, gum, 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 you know, doing the baby. All of a sudden the baby can talk because now, now you're heading off and the baby says, but is that all there was? Is that all I get? And death says, I'm afraid so. And that is something that it's, it's beyond me even thinking of that. Thinking of the idea that a baby died because you would normally think, okay, the baby doesn't know what's going on or whatnot, but the spirit of the baby does and just basically says, like, I was ripped off. I, I, I only got a couple months. I mean, I, I didn't even get to learn to talk there or walk or do anything, and it's over. I mean, this this can't be. And it is, and that is so sad. I have five kids, and I just thought of that, but it twisted around and not only just thinking, because then the mother comes out and like, here's your baba, oh no, and then just you know realizes what has happened and drops the bottle, it shatters, and then she's just crying there next to the crib. So you feel bad for that, but it hits hard when you realize there, you know, a baby that died of crib death there and really just got nothing, got nothing, and it doesn't matter. There's death who just has to do her job, has to just go. She's not one to end up judging anything or whatever. You just go, she goes. And and this continues on with a montage with a bunch of people dying. You have somebody who's taken too many pills, somebody who looks like they may have drowned or been left, you know, to die on a beach. You end up having an old lady in a hospital that's just, you know, she had her full life. She's dying. You have somebody who's shot in an alleyway. And as this is going on, you do end up having dreams saying, I find myself wondering about humanity. Their attitude to my sister's gift is so strange. Why do they fear the sunless lands? It is as natural to die as it is to be born. But they fear her, dread her. Feebly, they attempt to placate her. They do not love her. Many thousands of years ago, I heard a song in a dream, a mortal song, that celebrated her gift. I still remember it. And you go through this song, and it seems to kind of inspire dream. It seems to make him inspired, at least the idea that, yeah, we have to keep going. 
You got to get a new game. You have to keep doing your job. You have to go with this. But even with that, just kind of thinking and getting his mind off of everything that he's done, just to think about why do people fear death? Now, we can sit here and say, well, you, you probably fear death mainly because you're fearing the unknown. You don't know what goes on afterwards. And if you are an atheist, you think nothing goes on and you're just upset all oh, my time's up or not you know if you are a religious person you may fear that you're going to go to the wrong place things like that there are a lot of reasons to fear it but a death and a dream these eternal th- you know why this is just the next stage this is just natural everything is born everything dies and the song that he remembers from way way back is death is before me today like the recovery of a sick man like going forth into a garden after sickness death is before me today like the odor of mirror or myrrh like sitting under a sail in a good wind. Death is before me today, like the course of a stream, like the return of a man from the war galley to his home. Death is before me today, like the home that a man longs to see after years spent as a captive. And that is kind of his deal as well. Again, you see while that's going on, a woman who looks like she's OD'd on heroin. You end up having a guy falling out the window, possibly push, because you see somebody, you see maybe a kid, who has fallen down the stairs, all these things going on. And he says that forgotten poet understood her gifts. My sister has a function to perform, even as I do. The endless have their responsibilities. I have responsibilities. And this is, again, reminding him, I I can't sit there and feel sorry for myself. I have to get going. Yeah, pretty much the game is always the game, and I got to get back to it. I can't just, you know, be moping around well you end up having a little deal too where you know dream goes to a sister thanks thank you you actually you know with just going around with you today reminded me you know i have to get going again i got my groove back i gotta get inspired and all these things and by the way they they were kind of after you when, when i was captured i just wanted to let you know but you go where you know, he, he's he's back. He thanks her. And, and it's really like everything in this ends up being a nice little twist. You even have a little family thing. And she even says, that's what family's for. I mean, you're my brother. This is what we do. And, you know, they're going to go. And she says, you, you want to keep going with me? I have one last appointment. Then I got to go off. But it was nice seeing you. I'm glad that we got to talk. And you find out that last appointment. It's our man Franklin from the beginning. And again, you kind of forgot about Franklin with all the other misery going on where Franklin, he's still playing soccer. One guy throws the ball. He ends up going to get it and he gets hit by a car. He gets killed. Now, like a lot of the other people, you don't necessarily know that you're dead right away unless you see the body. Well, Franklin is kind of away from the body. He's with Dream and you know, death where they're a little back. And that's when you materialize the spirit form next to them where he's like, Oh man, I didn't think you're going to be back this soon. Are we going on our date? Not really Franklin. And he's like, Oh man, you know, I almost got hit by a car. Do you see that? That would have been pretty crazy. She's like, yeah, about that. Let's go over there to that car. Let's go see what is going on. And you see them walking. She's kind of got her arm you know, intertwined with Franklin as they walk. And it's like, now, before you say anything else, you better come over here. There's something you maybe ought to see as they go off to see 
his dead body. As people are gathering, you even have the ambulance there uh, at that point, and you end up having dreams say, goodbye, sister. And he says, there is so much to do in my kingdom, much to restore, much to create, but that can wait. I have found the solace I sought, though not in the way I imagined. From dreams I conjure a handful of yellow grain. I throw the grain into the air, and I hear it, the sound of wings, as you hear every time. That death was taking somebody away to do her job now. He is inspired, still feeling those damn pigeons. Stop doing it. But he ends up inspired now to go off. And it's one of those where you end up in the whole scheme of things, kind of a cool down issue, right? But it is one of those where I really think that it, it, it is so good because of the way that, y- you know, you have all this stuff going on. And now what are we going to do next? But it's dream trying to figure out what are we going to do next? Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do dream stuff. We're going to get back to his job and we can go on from there. And then you also introduce death. And with all that, the art is so good. Yes, you can look at this and say, boy, that looks dated. But And it is, but it isn't. It actually, to me, feels classic, but really fits the story, especially the progression and especially the way the art you know, tells the story along with Neil Gaiman's script with the grittiness of some of the things and the darkness and and how the backgrounds are done. And at points where regular people are kind of walking amongst or actually the reverse death and dream walking amongst people who are all in this shade of pink as they are in their black and white that really stands out, things like that. I I really, really like this. And again, if you can get your hands on this issue, I suggest you do. And I suggest you read it even though I just went through it. It is really, really good. And again, it's one of those where the storytelling really is something like that is why I love comics. The storytelling and something with that baby, that's going to stick with me. I Really, just that baby is going to stick with me forever. But with that, it's another deal. Like, you read this and, like, I need to read more Sandman. And, yes, after I had read this issue number eight, because at one point when I first got into comics, I went and looked up the list that is Wizard, you know, magazines, 100 issues, that you need to read since you were born stuff something like that it's one of those 100 single issues that are great and this is very close to the top so i was going through those at one point and i read this thinking yeah i don't know much about sandman i'll check it out and just loved it just loved just the way the storytelling was now in the side i'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan and was at that point having read a bunch of his novels so that this was an easy choice to get to But really, I I suggest if you are involved with, you know, kind of getting a little bit tired of fighting with people, maybe you can read this and then you go on Twitter and say, boy, I just read Sandman number eight by Neil Gaiman and that was awesome. And I guarantee you'll have some people saying to you, you're right, it is awesome. Did you read this? Or, oh, my God, really? How great was it? And you're like, it was just the best. Oh, you should read it. And this is the kind of conversations that people really like to be in that really end up making being a comic fan something special. And I I see it a lot. I'm not necessarily the one who usually starts these conversations, but I love seeing people say, hey, I just got done reading 
Chip Zdarsky's new Daredevil. Any suggestions? Like, well, did you read Frank Miller's Daredevil? No. Oh, my God. You got to read Born Again. And Or even on the DC side of things like, hey, I, I, I'm reading the current DC stuff, uh, but anybody have any suggestions on some real good Joker stories? And then people are like, oh, my God, you should read, you know, this and that. And have you read this? And it's no longer a fight. Everybody's in it together then, and that's what I love. And I hope that this might spark that. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. But hey, for at least, like I said, I thought it would be about a half hour. So a half hour, we can all put that aside and end up. I I feel like when we do this, and I, I want to do this more often, I hope that people enjoy it. And I'd like to do it maybe even as its own podcast on its own feed, things like that. But just imagine when we start out, it's like a Mr. Rogers. We're sitting there, we're taking the shoes off, put the sneakers on, put a little sweater, you know, all that, where we kind of relax and get ready to just enjoy things and, and want some company. And again, then I'll go with the Mr. Rogers. We want everybody to be our neighbors, and that would be awesome. So there you go. Maybe from now on, uh, you know, not this episode because I didn't prepare for it, but maybe we will have a little Mr. Rogers as we fade out and get back to our regular lives and hopefully with a little less anger in our hearts and and if i can do that then anybody can so hey thanks everybody i hope you enjoyed this and i will talk to you soon